Hey guys, before we start our podcast this week, we wanted to take a few minutes to thank a few of our sponsors. So first we want to talk about this new breed archery. These guys have really done a great job simplifying a custom bow process. So if you're thinking about getting a new bow, these guys have everything that you want from the camel pattern on the riser to your string color and even your dampeners. Check these guys out, newbreedarchery.com. We'd also like to thank Steerka Optics. We have their S7 series, both in their binoculars and spotting scope that we just recently used down kind of in southwest Michigan doing some spotting over some fields and they work flawlessly. Even in some low light, really clear picture, outstanding warranty. These guys are someone you definitely want to check out, steerkastrong.com. Lastly, we wanted to thank Hill People Gear. Uh, Jared and I have been using their Decker pack so far this year. Turkey hunting, we do some whitetail hunting with it. And Jared, I actually caved and ended up getting the uh, butt pack this year, which I know you made some jokes about, uh, but I'm excited to use it. It'll be perfect for my saddle hunting uh, setup that I've got going on. Allow me to go in pretty light. Um, I can hang it in my tree stand. Uh, I have like access to some things that I might need sitting there. So looking forward to it. Uh, if you guys are looking for any type of pack or some other tactical gear that they sell to, check out hillpeoplegear.com. So right, Jared, you got that record button pushed? I've had that pushed about five minutes ago. Great. Well, it's good to talk to you, man. How you been? Good. Good. Uh, real well. Been busy, getting ready for a season, and just doing the standard stuff, I guess. Been a crazy couple of weeks. You got a big hunt coming up? We do. Uh, Rick and I, Rick, my employer and I, we're headed into a couple of new areas that we've never been before. And Did you say you're going for elk? We are, yeah. Had an antelope tag boat, you know, archery antelope tag this year, and it seems like I get them every year, and it's one of those things that's up with you right before the season. I find it hard to find time to get out and chase them, but elk's the priority, so that's where we'll be. Yeah, no, I, I can I can definitely see how that goes. So where are you headed? Down, we're actually uh, probably two different directions. We're in Bozeman here, but it sure. seems like normal spots have been void of elk or, you know, crowded with people. So sure. we're northeast just a little bit up into the crazies maybe, and if that doesn't work out, farther south and west in Montana, we're not exactly sure where we're going to end up. Part of the excitement, I think, is getting into a new area and, and just seeing what's there. Yeah, hopefully mm-hmm. you're finding where those elk are. Yeah, no kidding. That'd be the right spot. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on. Before we go further, you want to introduce who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I'm the owner and operator of FHF Gear. I run the business with my wife and one employee, Rick. We kind of run the show and wear a lot of hats. I started this 10 years ago and kind of was a, I don't know, it was, it was kind of a part-time job because I had sure. a day job. Before. We actually both worked for the sheriff's office at one time. I worked 20 years in law enforcement and retired opening day of elk season last year so it's been almost exactly one year since i retired did you meet her there while you were serving as a police officer yeah she uh she was a civilian employee there we met there and then she ended up actually starting to help out the business and right it got to a point where we realized she was more valuable working full-time for me than than you know she was getting paid as a as a civilian employee there. So we, she quit her day job probably a year before I did yep. and then came to work for FHF gear full time at that point and really helped immensely as far as getting the business, you know, up right. from what I had been doing. You know, it was hard for me with working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week at the day job and then trying to devote time when I got home. Yeah. Hopping on and to fill orders and design new product yeah. and respond to emails and all that. Yeah, I can imagine that takes Absolutely. a lot of time. And, yeah. and so you, it seems like your first major product was the, the bino harness. Is that right? Was that the first kind of thing that you came up with? Not really. It's funny because when I first started this, you know, 10 years ago, it was 
I was doing custom work for the most part. It kind of okay. started almost by accident doing custom work, and I, I made a bear spray holster that attached to Molly and then ended up, you know, making a custom bino harness for a guy here locally who wanted to get away from magnets. He'd had a bad experience with magnets popping shut and scaring animals, and he just asked that I make him a bino harness that didn't have magnets in it and was low profile. So I made him one, and then we kind of went through a few revisions, and then his friends started asking for him and his friends started asking for him and being in Bozeman. That's the place to I do consider it. consider myself lucky in that the right people ended up ordering them and, you know, it kind of caught on from there. It definitely has evolved since then. You know, that was kind of the first, one of the first major products I actually sent out and had produced because it was getting so popular. I was spending all my time custom making harnesses. What was your first like moment where it's like, holy cow, this is actually something right. you know, and actually in a business. When, when did that kind of happen? It's funny because I still joke about that occasionally that maybe this thing will actually <laughs> turn into something. But right. It's, it's probably uh, a good attitude to have. Yeah. But, you know, Randy Newberg started wearing the harness and he's from Bozeman. Yep. So I was super excited to have him show up and want a harness. But he's from Bozeman. So, you know, I kind of thought that was small town. And then <laughs> Dee Vernella called me up one day and asked for a custom harness. And that kind of is when I was like, holy crap. Joe Rogan called up and asked for something. And I was getting attention that was not expected. And So you know, Joe I, Rogan I was, called you up and was like, hey, I need a, a custom harness, like one I've seen before. Or did he have like something in mind? Or what, what, what was his uh, first custom order? Yeah, because I didn't actually talk to him in person. He, he okay. emailed out of the blue one day. We saw an order come in for him. And he had hunted with Ranella and yep. Callahan, all those guys before. So that's, I'm sure, how he, he got a hold of me. And we saw an order come through for just a rangefinder pouch, and it was for Joe Rogan in California. And we joked, we're like, I wonder if that's really Joe Rogan. And not long afterward, we got an email from him, and he's like, hey, I've been waiting for the harness to come back in stock and, you know, wondering when that would happen. And in the meantime, I'd actually made him a custom one that I, you know, had given to the meat eater guys to get to him. Yeah. You know, he had ordered this one or was unable to order one. So it was kind of a, it was a funny back and forth about, well, I already made you one, but I'm happy to make you another one. And yeah, he wore it for a couple seasons there. I'm not sure what he's wearing now, but yeah, it was a interesting, I guess, you know, to answer your question, when you start getting attention and seeing people for, like that start ordering is humbling at the same time as it is, mm-hmm. you know. It's great marketing too. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, too, is, that, you know, again, by then I was not really doing any marketing. I, you know, I was having stuff produced for me, but we were so busy and production has always been our uh, bottleneck, so to speak. Sure. So I was afraid to market too much for a long time and that I, I couldn't handle more business. You know, we were right. growing so fast that marketing seemed like it was all I would market to people to come see that I didn't have anything to sell. Right. Exactly. They get there, they, they get kind of annoyed and then they leave and then you lose them as customers. Exactly. And that's something we've gone through over and over. In fact, we had an incredible summer and spring show season and it, we sold out of items long before we expected to and at right. the same time our production company basically was unable to keep up and fulfill orders and we ended up kind of the worst time of year this year cutting ties with them and we're getting new production going now we are in the meantime sold out of all our most popular products which is awful to have people come excited to get something and then basically mm-hmm. turn them away you know, especially right at hunting season or when they're trying to gear up for hunting season. We're kind of looking at it as a positive in that production has always been our bottleneck, and we are partnered up with a couple new companies now that are 
well-established and definitely have the potential and capability to keep us in stock for a while. It'll allow us to not only get back in stock with everything, but give me more time instead of putting out the fires of production, give me more time to get back behind the design side of things. And I have notebooks full of ideas that, you know, some of them are in final prototyping stage already. I just haven't put them into production because we were struggling to get our standard stuff in, but yeah. we're excited to get this going and that we'll really be able to expand, you know, moving forward from here. Well, and you expect, you got a new bag out this year, right? We do. We put, put out a new bag. We call it the sportsman's bag. It's kind of a duffel bag on steroids. It really original design again was back as a custom order from a local guy who wanted a duffel bag that looked like a duffel bag, but that had a padded center divider inside that he could carry rifle case and his rifles in and right. not scream tactical and didn't, didn't make, him a target for anyone to think he's carrying a rifle around and yeah exactly and that that led to this design we refined it a little bit made it a little bigger and more kind of more useful in, in different ways and ended up putting it out in three sizes and we ended up also making it out of a, a material that we hadn't necessarily originally planned to use but we had access to it it makes the bag really high-end and expensive because of this material what's the material uh, called centurion it's basically a laminate cordura laminated to spectra like you know cousin of kevlar yep mm-hmm. it's water i hesitate to call it waterproof because it's not a dry bag but resistant in the back of a truck with water you know rolling back and forth side to side and it's we've not had anything get wet inside and it's full tub bottom sealed seams it's you know waterproof zippers and it's just a bag that if you tear this material i don't know that you could tear the material if you were to cut it with something sharp the hole's not going to get any bigger right and it would take some serious horsepower to to even fray the material so it's you know pretty i don't want to say basic in its design but you know it's big padded center compartment yeah. and I actually use a small one for all my fly rods and oh nice yeah you know it has a, a side compartment so it's three zips each side compartment is separate and I can keep my fly fishing stuff in one side my wife's in the other all our fly rods in the middle and really it's throw it in the back of the truck and can be gone and then I can do a whole weekend trip in the medium-sized bag it'll fit a hunting rifle plus all my camp gear and everything in each side of it it's one of those that people have been asking for for years who've right. seen the original custom version and we finally put it into production and we may look at actually making because of the price point ended up being yeah. so high in fact the large bag there's just about two hundred dollars worth of material in the bag before it's even before marked up by anybody sewing yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's just crazy expensive material and so we're looking at you know in the future we may do a little less expensive fabric so it's a little more attainable for everybody Before we move on, I wanted to take a minute to thank one of our show sponsors, Pelican Coolers. These coolers are extremely tough and backed by a lifetime warranty. But what I like most about our coolers is that as tough as they are, they can be opened with the push of a button. So it'll keep the bears out, but you won't have any trouble getting in. And it gets even better. Right now, if you type in pelicancoolers.com slash hotboga, you'll get a free tumbler with the purchase of any cooler. And We all use the uh, 32-ounce tumbler, and it does an amazing job at keeping hot drinks hot for a very long time and cold drinks cold for a very long time. I'm going to do something maybe a bit unusual or something that I haven't done yet, but I'm going to throw out a James D. Guarantee, which is something I don't just toss around willy-nilly. I'm going to James D. Guarantee that if you buy one of these coolers, you'll have the best cooler experience you've ever had, and you'll be changed as a person for the better. Your life will be totally different from here on out. So don't take my word for it. Go check them out for yourself, pelicancoolers.com slash hotboga. And now, back to our show. 
But this is like a, a toad on steroids too, right? I mean, you can put your hunting clothes in there. You know, I'm actually even thinking like I might, I got a recurve, a takedown. That would probably fit in there too, right, with some arrows? Oh, yeah, I would think uh, definitely, especially a takedown, you could even get it in the little bag probably. You know, it's 36 inches long. There's a 45-inch one that fits every hunting rifle I own. And, you know, if you had a muzzle brake or a suppressor on there, you'd probably have to jump up to the larger bag. Sure. And it's 54 inches long, but mm. it's a monster. It's almost 10,000 cubic inches. And That's big. But then we could, we could just... You throw that in your, you know, for me, I don't have a truck, but my trunk, and I'm ready to hunt. I'm mobile. Yep. Yeah. Know? That's good to be mobile. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just one of those, I'm one of those gear organization freaks that, you know, I'll put multiple organization bags inside of that bag and have right. my, you know, my hunting clothes separate from, you know, everything. And, and it's just, I like things to be organized and that's, it's a super easy way to do it. You know, even if you're not hunting or using it for that kind of stuff, I know Rick, my employee, he uses it for, like, he'll put his tripods and camera gear and stuff in that center paddock yep. compartment. Bill be able to get you know all of his gear that he needs on the outside and that's it's just one of those versatile bags we took a family vacation and flew with the bags and there's no molly there's no velcro that it doesn't look like an outdoor or tactical bag right in fact expected at the airport and they asked if we had golf clubs in there <laughs> but we were able to get two kids plus all their gear packed into one bag and it, it just packing kids in the bag yeah you could our little <laughs> about saving it on saving our airfare a little bit but yeah that's right probably wouldn't have gone over so well so you, you going back to your original design you, know, you mentioned the the bino harness people are asking that was kind of like what one of the things that had you received custom orders for and that's kind of probably i would imagine your your most popular product how how did the like how many revisions are we you know when we're looking <laughs> at what you have out now is that just like the first couple that you were designing is it totally different you know what's the same and what what's changed so the basic design is actually very similar but there's been a lot of revisions as far as pocket layouts yep. some fine tuning with size for sure we now make three sizes for a while we made four when i first started i made one right it always started with that hook on the front and bungee closure yeah that's nice. the way to get it done quietly and and at that time when i first designed this i was working out of a spare bedroom in my house so i had to kind of work with what i had technology and the ability to work with what i had the ability to order you know in consumer quantities and you know the original design had a slicker lining in it you know we wanted sure. uh, the binos to come in in and out pretty quickly and easily and not hang up on anything the first design didn't actually have any exterior pockets oh really uh, okay. and we you know we sl- slowly started adding little side mesh pockets for wind checker and yep. you know, putting your tags in it had no rear pockets that was added on another revision that and is then, a handy that back pocket is super handy that's where i always put my tags but i'll put like i've got like a knife i put back in there and it disappears it's beautiful yep yeah, i've used my phone put my phone in there before we had the cell phone pouch came out we you know i always put my phone in there to help keep it warm you know if you're hiking around in the in the mountains and we added you know the molly on the bottom of it now so that it, in fact when we first did that we just added webbing and now you know, we've got laser cut panel on there that is a little more low profile, cuts the weight and it's stronger weight, you know, strength to weight ratio. Yeah. But it, you know, it allows you to attach all sorts of accessories. It's been pretty popular with, you know, attachment of bear sprays. We have a couple other new products coming out that we hope to attach right underneath. And then a couple of our pouches, small pouches will actually attach to the side over the side. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that's one of the nice about the harness is it's low profile, but modular. So exactly. You can, mm-hmm. you can kind of set it up depending on what you're doing, where you're hunting, what season it is. Yeah. what gear you might. now most of the the products that you're going to be working on is that like building off that modular design off your front pouch is that is that kind of the bulk of the the new design stuff you're working on right now some of it uh we you know i don't want to go into too much detail we we this year you know once we get our basic 
products back in stock. That's where we're focusing now is to get the, the basic stuff we've had back in stock. But there's a little bit of that as far as building on accessories onto that. We're yeah. looking at raising and certainly building on fishing and tactical side of things. Hoping to step into a couple new areas that I actually haven't even dealt with before. You know, all all outdoor related. But, you know, my wife is really eaten up with fly fishing now. She just oh, learned yeah. this year how every day we get home and don't have something else going on. Drive 10 minutes to the river and we're out fishing. So That's a beautiful thing. It, it, yeah. It's definitely got the wheel spinning with new ideas. And Okay. We did a couple trips this summer that, you know, I ended up carrying a bunch of extra fly boxes and big streamer boxes. And yeah. our fishing, fishing rig was really designed to be low profile and minimal like high mountain fishing you know you get a couple midge boxes in there and, yeah kind of real light yeah it's definitely real light something you could wear under pack and still go and, and still have easy access to and it got me thinking though that i needed to expand that a little bit uh fit more more gear in there if needed we've got a couple things in the works there and then a lot of it will be accessories or at least will they aren't necessarily accessories for that bino harness but the idea will be to integrate the harness so you can wear it all together sure. and in most cases, I'm trying to think of what what all we have coming out, but yeah. it'll definitely build on the system so it all works together and can be used separately if needed. That's awesome. No, now, I got to ask your background. Um, how did you get into essentially textiles? Is that something you worked in or you you had any familiarity with or where did this come from? Uh, it's kind of a, I don't know, ridiculous story in that I, I was obviously I've been a bow hunter forever and I was on our SWAT team here locally and the first design I ever made was, in fact, I was searching the internet for something for us for SWAT here in law enforcement and came across you know stumbled across a site on the internet that kind of showed me how to build something that I wanted right. and at the time you know my ex-wife had a sewing machine and I took seventh grade home ex so I thought well I could probably make that it had been a number of years since I'd seen a sewing machine but figured I was going to try it right and the first few things I did you know I went to a local fabric store and bought some cheap fabric just to try out make sure i could do it broke a lot of needles and, right but you know i was able to get a few things done and eventually upgraded my machine and was ordering fabric which looking back ordering fabric off of ebay or something you end up paying <laughs> way more than uh, you probably would have to just buy the pouch but yeah it allowed me to kind of express my creativity in a way i had never thought or really had previously had an interest in doing but it it led to teammates hunting partners and stuff asking for gear you know was that you know way back when i first started was i was charging enough to pay for materials but certainly not enough to pay for my time and that's kind of when i started charging people for it still not making enough money but i was like i might be able to make a few extra bucks doing this and you know that just that led into the custom work that led to the final harnesses and different things that you know really no background in sewing kind of all self-taught and you just decided mm-hmm. that was what you had to do yeah and i had a had a young young kid and i was sitting at home and all my days off and surfing the internet and searching you know there was in fact there used to be a website called diy tactical that i must have read through <laughs> beginning to end it was a forum that talked about how to make tactical gear right you know i think i read every post on there numerous times and kind of learned learned how to do it you know and learned a lot of techniques and then ended up meeting a lot of different guys in the industry that have taught me a lot and it's just been one of those i joke that i started this business by accident and not that much of a joke to be honest <laughs> it just kind of happens well and, and yeah. once you get kind of something down that is so useful i mean the, the vinyl harness is i've wrecked some pairs of binoculars not having anything around them while i've been out well yeah it's just nice to have right there on your chest yep. 
you're not digging around. Well, not only it. wrecking them, but I don't know how many times I have left a cheap pair in the woods. Right. Or, in fact, I have a one memory of me. You know, I used to wear the old elastic harness yep. that, you know, bounced around would be hitting you in the crotch. And yeah, I hated I, I, hate I decided to decided to make a jump over a stream one day. <laughs> thought I could make it probably, you know, eight-foot jump or something. Of course. Made this jump and ended up hitting the close to the other bank. And my binos must have looked like a bungee jumper coming down and they ended up hitting me right in the teeth. And, <laughs> and in the middle of the river bleed. Realized oh. that probably and you're pissed come up at that point. Hey, an eight-foot yeah. jump? Hey, props. That's, yeah. that's a good jump with all gear on. I'm not going to say I actually made it. I tried. <laughs> well, he was wet and he's bleeding from his, knocked out his yeah. front tooth. Hey, bold move. I like it. Let's take another break and cut to another segment of First Steps with First Light. This week, we have Greg Farrell, Product Operations Manager at First Light on to talk concealment and tree stand preparation. So Greg, how do you prepare your tree stands in the off season? For me, this tree stand prep really starts in June and July. Um, That's when I like to get a lot of my sets ready, especially on my private ground stands. And what I mean by that is I'll go in into a lot of the trees where I know I'm gonna hang stands, get the stands up. My preference is to always go as high as I possibly can. If I can, I like to get in that 20 foot range. Um, I've just found that I can get away with a lot more movement um, and I'm a little bit safer in terms of getting busted at that 20 foot range. So I'll go in and I'll do what I like to call my rough trimming. There's still a lot of leaves on the tree, so that's gonna be the most cover I have. So I'll cut big limbs, um, anything I need, you know, whether it's a chainsaw or a pole saw, any larger implements for, and really orient my stands and those lanes and the trimming that I do based off of where I know deer are gonna come from. So giving myself some cover as the deer approaches, but yet still enough visibility to see them coming. And I also always like to try and figure out a plan for where I'm going to draw and what my cover situation is going to be when I do want to draw my bow. That's basically it for that June and July portion. And then my kind of dial in typically happens in the earliest portion of the season. So here in Wisconsin, we can start hunting middle of September. Um, And basically that handsaw lives in my pack for those first few sits. As the leaves start to come off the tree, you know, early September, September into October. If I need to do additional trimming, I will, but I like to try and not trim too much right away because as those leaves come down and things open up a bit, I don't want to be sitting in the middle of a no man's land with no cover. With regards to public spots, I like to follow the same process, but what I'll do there is I'll carry my stands in with me or my saddle, whatever I'm going to use, and essentially go up in the tree and follow that same process. The only difference in my public land spots is I won't leave the saddle or the stand out there. So I'll bring it in and hang it as if I'm going to leave it there, but then take it down until the season actually starts and I'm going into those places more regularly. Awesome, Greg. Thanks again for coming on and for helping us with some tree stand setup. You know, I I even know a guy who had a nice pair of binoculars and didn't ever use a you know, harness. And actually right now he's still using them, but he literally only has one half. And so it's half a binocular, one half broke off, and he's still mm. bringing out. I'm like, Ooh. just cover it up. Who is it? Oh, just, yeah. Uh, old hunting buddy. Oh, yeah. He's got the monocular thing going, so it's uh, nice. rare. I've got a buddy that's got one bad eye that only uses the monocular anyway, so he's not uh, in yeah, too bad a company. That, works. that does work. Terrible depth perception, but. Yeah, yes, indeed. And that's, uh, you know, and that's the, this, this bino harness, you know, the, the criticism that I've gotten about it is, you know, with the open design on the sides, it's not completely sealed as far as dust protection, but really, you know, this, this design was made around Western 
spot and stock hunters who are on foot most of the time. Right. And to be honest with you, I've never had a real issue with dust getting in them. And if you get the correct size, you get a tight seal over the lenses. And yeah. I mean, you'd really have to work to get something, you know, moisture or dust to get up in there. And, and the open design, the benefit of it is it keeps your binos at ambient air temperature. They're yes. not heating up against so you pull them out they're not going to fog they're still fully protected i know mm-hmm. there was one other system that you know had kind of a real skeletonized version design of it. it you know it just didn't protect the front of the binos or didn't have any extra pockets anything like that and so this one i believe you know stays minimal and and low profile but still gives you gives most people a lot of protection and oh yeah and it doesn't bounce. well i've tried so many you know some with zippers or magnets and magnets will mess up your compass and yeah. oh yeah your jeep i think your gps too and so i've tried yeah i've tried a couple but my biggest complaint were the one with the ones that were covered were the fogging issue because i i wear glasses which i'm always dealing with fogging up anyways and then you throw binoculars on there and it's like a lot of what you wear is wool, so you can't really wipe it off very well unless you bring a, a little cloth with, which I should actually be doing more. You need a little kit. But you know what I'm saying? You don't want to – I just hate dealing with that. Actually, and I we've talked about this on the podcast and through our Instagram. I am mm-hmm. actively looking for a solution, some spray oh, yeah. for my glasses, some way to prevent – fogging up i wish i had the answer i know they make some stuff for uh, swimmers and stuff i've seen some stuff advertised but i've never actually tried it see when you know, i swam people. back in high school yeah. i would just spit in my goggles yeah but yep. you know? i was on a swim team and uh-huh. I, that was our solution better we just didn't wear them yeah. right oh that's <laughs> you are a bad man <laughs> so um, my, but my question is how well spitting on my glass spitting my glasses won't work why would that work something yeah, in, I, I, I don't know I, maybe there's something in human bit saliva that it just defogs it it does it works yeah i would think there's you know somebody has some grand molecular yeah excellent for how that's going to work but i it never worked well so probably just our imagination sounds like a question for peter there jimmer uh, well one one solution i've kind of been thinking about is what if i put armor all or not armor all uh rain x what if i put rain i bet you it'd probably eat at my glasses like you think you would etch it i don't know we could try it try it with a chair first yeah Here's the thing. I live life on the edge. I only have one pair right now. <laughs> Terrible, by the way. It's uh, that's you're bound to lose glasses when you only have one pair left. Yeah, I can imagine. I uh, I'm the same way with contacts. So I'm sure that how I know how it goes. Aren't contacts disposable though? Like don't yeah. you don't you um, use course. a new pair every day, or is that different different style? Well, it depends. There's some that are your dailies. Actually, side. Uh, I keep need to go get LASIK surgery, but I have uh, my contacts are monthly wear if i wear them for a month and only take them out 12 times a year so oh you can you leave them in overnight yeah yeah i leave them in overnight and then i get lazy and my 12 pairs usually last me about 18 months so my eye doctor yells at me every time i go there but Uh it works well for me and especially (laughs) when i was on the swat team i was always getting woken up in the middle of the night or oh yeah that makes sense on call and investigations and it was nice to jump out of bed and go is that kind of like a qrf as far as the, our SWAT team? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had a uh, multi-jurisdictional team here, so we had uh, 10 guys from the sheriff's office, 10 from the police department, when anytime there was a call that they, you know, our main duty was either patrol or investigations or whatever our, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. primary day job was, we would train usually about eight hours a month, then, you know, do call-outs on top of that. So anytime there was a, anything that required us getting called out, Sure. warrant service or barricaded subjects anything like that we'd get called out and it would just it never failed but it was in the middle of the night and the coldest time of, of year of course that was when i we used to joke patrol only called when it was cold 
Right. <laughs> so, you know, it was a really nice night out. They'd handle it. But for us to go stand and surround a house, they, they wanted to make sure the temperature was 20 below. They got their money. And probably. Quick. Did you say QRF? Yeah, quick reaction force. Okay. So I was going to say, well, I have no idea what that is. I'm a, a civilian over here. So. Well, that's, yeah, we called it SRT, Special Response Team. Oh, yeah. But it's the yeah, same thing as we just I say SWAT usually in. Yeah. people know what I'm talking about. That's you know what? Yeah. I'm that people. You dumbed it down enough for yeah. Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. We call that Barney style. Yeah. Or right. Jimmy style. Right. Yeah, so go, going back to that, what was I had a question about that. You said you were in it for 20 years? Yeah. Well, I was with the sheriff's office for 20 years. Okay. I ended up in our on our team, hired on 2 years in and then, you know, went through as uh, one of our marksmen for a while, relatively short time, then yep. our training coordinator and I ended up probably the last well, maybe 8 or 9 years was a team leader and ended up retiring out. I actually had some surprise health issues pop up. Uh, oh. about a year before I retired that you know, I'm only 42 now. Well, no, I turned 43 this week, last week, but hey, happy the, birthday. early forties. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, I ended up crazy story and I've only met one other guy that's done this and I guess survived, but he, I, I popped my neck one day and ended up dissecting my vertebral artery, the artery that runs up inside, uh, alongside your spine and goes into your brain. Dissected it means it, it didn't tear, but it, separated like if you can imagine a garden hose separating the layers whoa holy cow the blood clot built up in between those layers and then i popped my neck one day and probably in the best shape of my life i've been going to the gym twice a day and i was in literally probably the best shape of my life and doing squats one day and had a really bad headache and so i popped my neck and it blew that clot loose into my brain ended up having strokes and got life flighted to seattle and holy cow and it put a damper on uh, the swat team and different things so i ended up kind of giving up a few different things it's all healed up now it seems to be fine but i had six or eight months where i couldn't you know, doctor told me not to lift more than 20 pounds, and it's hard being as active as I am and was to sit around and oh, that'd be tough. do cardio all day. So that's an experience. Is this so you're just you crack your neck like everybody cracks yeah. the neck, or the, and yeah. is that like what happens if you do that too much? Should I be stopped cracking my neck now? Well, uh, that's what uh, I was told. I'd done it since I was a teenager. And, oh yeah, and it always you know twisted my neck. And it's funny because I when I went to the Harborview in Seattle and had a team of neurologists in there who treating me as a learning moment because they told me the percentage of people who died because typically that artery. When it dissects like that, it creates a bulb, and that's what an aneurysm is. Right. And it was pushing up between the layers towards my brain, and had it made it into the brain cavity, they said there was a good chance of that popping in your brain. That's, you know, you hear about people having a brain aneurysm and dying. Right. Well, I twisted my neck, which popped it, which blew that clot loose, which they said, in a weird way, probably saved my life because it blew blew the clot out before it got to the brain but they warned me pretty heavily to that the popping is probably what started that dissection in the first place oh. and most of the time this happens with 40 year old men and it is most commonly done after some sort of incident like that you know and, and you know they mentioned chiropractic care and of course there's studies out there that say you know it was a whiplash injury that happened before that's why they were seeing the chiropractor that caused it but you know i i didn't have any injury i just popped my neck and sheesh Apparently, I'm not a good chiropractor. So. No, you, 
stick stick with my day job. Maybe I gotta stop cracking. Now that you're saying this, so I really want to do it. Yeah, like for some I reason, I feel like snap. I need it. You know. Yeah, I was one of those guys that did it. You know, ten times a day, and every time my neck was stiff, I'd crack it. And uh, it's one of those habits, I guess, probably like smoking that I, I just quit cold turkey because. Oh man. But it was interesting. I you know I ended up having some vertigo for a while and had you know every now and then you get a weird. I don't know if you guys ever get lightheaded or just, you know, random, you know, random lightheaded, which most people don't think about. And now having gone through that, you know, you have a short moment of standing up too fast, you feel lightheaded and you yeah. think, uh-oh, is this the big one? But so far, so good. Hasn't happened again. So Wow. Well, we're uh, glad you're all right. Yeah. <laughs> again, it's pretty minimal. So. Did that kind of encourage you to move towards FHF full time and kind of get away from, you know, the force or? Yeah, a little bit, I guess. I mean, by the time I left, I mean, I was back on patrol and, you know, I felt pretty strong and was getting back into the gym. And But it definitely, you know, puts life in perspective and, you know, dealing with the stress of law enforcement is, I'm lucky in that in Bozeman, Montana, it's not like working South Central L.A., Right, but but it's still a stressful job, and you know the public's eyes are always on you, and you get second guessed on everything you do, and yeah. you know even though you try and do the best you can, it's it's one of those jobs that is just stressful. You're always dealing with somebody else's emergency, right? And you're dealing with everybody on their worst day. Mm-hmm. You know, very few people are happy to see the cops show up. It, it just you know it wears on you. You begin to think that everybody out there is that guy or is that crook or is you know right you know. I spent eight years in investigations interviewing child molesters and thieves and, you know, homicide suspects. And it's, it's just, it, you begin to kind of close off. Yeah, your, where's that? Yeah, I can imagine a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your only friends become those you know you can trust that are, you know, sitting next to you every day. And, and that's been one of the best things about this FHF gig, quite honestly, is I'm meeting everybody in the community. A group of hunters are, yeah. for the most part, very supportive of each other. And, you know, it's kind of a, a, a group that has allowed me to meet people outside my circle and realize that, oh, there are still good people out here. And, right. In fact, there's still great people out here, and I think some of my best friends now certainly have met through the business. So it's it's been, a again, a, an accidental blessing that it's worked out this way. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny how that works out and kind of pushes you to new places. And we, well, we appreciate you having you, you here. Appreciate you coming yeah, out today. Absolutely. absolutely. I think we're coming up on time. Paul, where can people find out more about FHF gear? Where can they follow you and kind of get updates on, as to what you're, you're coming up with over there? Um, yeah, so FHFgear.com. Uh, we have you know, everything on there. Sign, you know, I'll tell people if we're out of stock on something, it's coming. We don't have dates yet, but it's coming and we will have new stuff launching soon we have a spot to sign up for emails and newsletters and you know you get product updates new stuff there instagram at fhf gear i'm fhf gear underscore paul but that's kind of my personal page where i kind of do behind the scenes stuff but fhf gear is where we post most of our stuff on instagram facebook fhf gear as well and we've got a youtube channel that we're trying to build out and we're going to use our opportunity of having low inventory at the moment to hopefully build up our content our content on youtube and get that rolling a little better awesome well perfect man well thank you so much we'll uh we'll talk to you soon absolutely thanks for having me everybody thanks again for taking a listen to this episode head on over to our instagram page to stay up to date on everything that we're doing if you're feeling squirrely go smash that subscribe button on wherever you're listening to this podcast we appreciate it and tell your friends that we are hot boga hot boga hunting.com